0: Good morning. Well, we are continuing on in our series, going through the book of First Thessalonians. There's our beautiful slide: First Thessalonians, encouragement, fuel for the faithful. So let's open up there. We'll be in chapter two, looking at verses one through twelve this morning. So I encourage you, once you get there, we could stand for the reading of God's word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already been suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much of conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is impossible for us to, in one prayer, reveal all our needs, and all the areas where we need your help. But Lord, we can trust that you know our needs thoroughly. The cross of Jesus Christ tells us this. By his very death and resurrection, you know our needs. You know how many they are. So Lord, I pray that you would hear our cry this morning as we need you, we need to hear from you. We just sang a wonderful song, lead us, oh Lord, this church. And I pray that you would lead us into paths that lead to Christ, and, and God-honoring walks that honor the gospel. So Lord, I ask that you would help us in this. We need your grace. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not sure about you, but I'm just falling in love with this book, 1 Thessalonians. It is such a unique book, and I, I think it's unique in the sense that we get a face-to-face look at Paul's heart for this church He wears it right on his sleeve. A cursory read of this book, you can see that Paul is very much in love with these believers. He cares for them. There's amazing statements in this book. Paul will say, "I, I live if you stand fast in the Lord. He says, what is my joy and crown and honor if it's not you at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? He loves this church. And his desire is to see them make it to the end. So not just walk in a manner worthy, but to make it with that day in view where Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. So he will do anything to help this church. So he writes to them, and he knows that this church, though faithful, is also being persecuted. He knows that this church, though faithful and joyful and steadfast, is being hampered and attacked by Satan. And he knows this. Look at the affliction is on both sides of our text. Look at one verse six with me. It says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. Let's look on the other side of our text, 2.14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things. So Paul is aware that this church is suffering, this young church. So he wants to come alongside them and help. And our text shows one way in which he does that. And maybe you picked up on the word we read in those two verses, 1, six and 2.14, the word imitation. So Paul, in giving us this section, which is really just an extended biography of his, autobiography of his own ministry among them, is aimed to help them in affliction through imitation. Paul loves this church so much he has offered himself to them. This whole section is you know, you know, you know. Paul's ministry among them was so intimate, so close that they knew. In a sense, from a distance, now he's going to do the same thing and offer himself to help this church. And it's by way of this autobiography. So he wants to draw them towards Christ who can sustain them by showing them what sustains his own life and his own ministry. And through that, they can imitate that. And, and, and be sustained by the same things that sustains Paul's life. So it's the power of imitation. And that is an encouraging thing for us today. Imitation is not something I regularly think about. But it gives so much purpose and value to what we do in here. That we can have an immense role in each other's lives, making it to the end, looking to Jesus. It's not just a written biography of a past church figure. It's living lives, real life stories in these pews right now. That we can say, and we can live in such a way that we show Christ to one another. It's a beautiful reality. Paul says, imitate those who imitate me as I imitate Christ." And we, can, we, we know this, uh, we, we, even though I might not think of it often, if you ever go to a Christian funeral, there's no more of a, of a greater testimony than how much a normal, everyday person can have a traumatic effect, an enduring, lasting effect on their families and their friends when they live authentically for Jesus. When in their weakness, they rely on Him and find their joy in Him and their sustenance in Him. Imitation's a powerful thing. It's not just for the, the grand and great. We can be that in here. So just a word of encouragement with, with imitation. So Paul is doing this. He's laying out his very life to be imitated, which means we got to say, what do, we should ask, what should we look for in this autobiography of Paul? Why is he drawing their attention back? What should we look for? And I think he's wanting us to remember three things. One, remember how the gospel sustains my boldness. That's what Paul's saying. Two, remember how the gospel liberated my ministry from the success syndrome. And three, remember how gospel love fills people with gospel hope. So one, remember how the gospel sustains my boldness. And that's really the first two verses. Two, remember how the gospel liberated my ministry from the success syndrome. Three through uh, six. And three, remember how the gospel, gospel love fills people with gospel hope. So we begin our first section looking at verses 1 and 2. It says, For you know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction. You see, Paul had been learning something over his years of ministry. Ever since on the Damascus Road, the gospel invaded his life. He had been going out and preaching, and he encountered immense suffering, and yet he saw the power of the gospel take root in people's lives. See, he is just coming back from, as he says, you know that when I came to you, it was in the backdrop of much affliction. Paul was limping into this little town of Thessalonica. Sorry, big town. This, this place. And he was limping because when he was in Philippi, not too long ago, he was preaching the gospel, reasoning from the scriptures, and the response was rejection. And it was, they shamed him. They brought him out into the town square and they tore off his robes and they beat him, it says, with many blows. Put him in jail. So Paul knew well the suffering and so did they. And yet somehow on the other side of Philippi, in that shameful treatment and that physically harmful treatment for the gospel, in comes Paul into Thessalonica. And he says, you know this. How? How? How can that be possible that Paul limps in with what he says is boldness. He's bold to walk into Thessalonica. He's not deterred in his movement forward. So boldness we see here is extremely key, and he's drawing our attention to that. But again, what sustains his boldness? Look with me to verse two. But though we have already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God, to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul is saying, my boldness, the boldness that you, church in Thessalonica, need to continue on in affliction is not in me per se, it's in my God. See, Paul believed as he had learned over the years that God's word can work in the lives of rebel hearts, he says, my confidence is that this message isn't mine, it's God's, and it's the gospel of God. And he gives me boldness to preach his gospel. It is God's gospel, which authenticates the message, authenticates our faith, but it gives Paul such a grand vision. This is God's gospel of redeeming rebels to God through the Son of God as, his, as he suffered and died to redeem them on the cross. And he was amazed at this gospel of God. He knew it in his own life. It saved him, and it can save others, and it can triumph over hard hearts and terrible amounts of affliction, and it moves forward, and Paul found his boldness in God and in that message. It's a tremendous encouragement for us as a church. What should sustain Mac and our kids' programs? What gives it boldness? What gives our senior high and junior high boldness, our young adults' ministry, and even in the toughest ministries like seniors, luncheons? What, what gives it boldness? What gives it hope if it's not the gospel? If it's not God's able ability to save? So if you're ministering in this church, you're ministering anywhere, fill up your boldness to continue doing it amidst affliction by trusting God's word that it works. Fill your heart up by going through the book of Acts and seeing how the gospel transforms lives as it goes out through the ministry of the word and the power of the spirit. See, Paul had great dependence on God and he's saying, this is the ground that my ministry wasn't in vain and that I can have boldness and so can you. Your labors, the church in Thessalonians, who was, they were testifying of the gospel. It was going forth their faithfulness in the midst of affliction. It can continue because this is true you can have boldness because this is true so imitate me and find your root your boldness in God and that means our boldness can always have a source in a sense the burner is always on with the boiling kettle it can always be hot always be boiling always be robust because our God is real true and has sent Jesus into this world he's given us his word so we can have boldness in the bible It's an encouragement to us all. God is emboldening every believer to continue on. So Paul, in a sense, got a grand vision of God's glory in the gospel. And he knew that it could carry him on and this church on. And he says, remember that. And you will be a church that can remain in affliction. Remain bold for the gospel. Look at my life. Look at me. Look what happened. It's all about God To declare to you the gospel, God, in midst of much affliction. So that's the first section. The second section is remember how the gospel liberated my ministry from the success syndrome. So he's got boldness in the gospel, but he's got a totally different way of ministering the gospel than our world. Common in these days in Thessalonica, there was uh, flattery and peddling of messages and philosophies, and they'd come in a certain way, in a certain package, and Paul says, I did none of those things. So his boldness is now carrying him into a certain way of ministering, and it's freeing him. Look with with me at verse 3. Paul says, For our appeal, our urging, our pleading with you does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So it's not mixed with corrupt motives. I'm not coming to deceive and and scam you and blind you. Look at verse 5. He says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed, So he wasn't coming in a sense of, of, I'm going to do ministry among you, but i got to really fight for my own security. I I need something from you that can sustain me, and and I'm hungry for that. To procure my own safety, my own security, monies, and different things like that. You know it wasn't like that. You know it wasn't with flattery. So Paul came in with boldness, but he didn't come in to make much of himself. He didn't think he needed to win them by by using a certain rhetoric that would somehow make him look different. might have been hard if he was limping in with bruises and beaten down in tattered clothes anyway. Look at verse 6. It says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So he says, I didn't do any of those things. Those kind of deceptive, improper heart motives that linger under the surface but kind of manifest themselves in certain practices, they weren't there. So what, what, what could possibly liberate Paul from those things? We're talking about, and we all know, that the, the longings of our heart that have glory from people, to be made much of. Oh, to hear an applause. Oh, wasn't that an excellent such and such? Oh, didn't you do such a great job? What can free us from that prison? What can free us from, even in our ministry, striving after trying to yet do ministry and honor God, but yet carve out something that we think we can only do for ourselves, our security, maybe identity? See, Paul is showing us here something amazing. It's a bit of a miracle that he is freed from this, and it's rooted in something. I think it's rooted in a couple things. I think it's rooted in his boldness with the word of God. This can save. So if this can save, and an ordinary handing it out and sharing it can save, I don't need to. I don't need to, do, to flatter myself. I don't need to do these other tactics because the word works. And I trust that. But it's also in something else. Look with me at verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So Paul is saying right here, my only concern is what God thinks of me. God is what matters, not the praise of man, not the approval of man, only God. He tests my heart. I find my approval in Him. And he knows this because he knows grace. He was approved for this work. How could Paul have been approved if it wasn't for grace? God saved him. God gave him this ministry. And God sustains that ministry by grace. And he's like, I know that. You provided everything my need. My my identity. My acceptance. My praise. And all I want to do now is please you. See, he got a glimpse of God that, that tore down all those idols in his heart. So church, let's do war. And I think the first thing we can do is confess. What a great application when we read a section like this, this beautiful section of of how ministry should look. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for those little corners of our hearts that long for the praise of men, pleasing of ourselves and not God. Words of flattery, pretext for greed, but I'm also so encouraged. I, I don't see this categorically in this church and Paul saying, imitate me, you're doing it already, continue on. You can continue with gospel ministry that works, that God will bless, because it's not holding up his son, it's also holding up a fleshly heart. They don't go together. Jesus, who saves me from sin, and saves me from myself, and, and saves me by grace as I walk, and brings me to his own kingdom, doesn't, doesn't mix well with, I'm seeking my own kingdom. I'm pleasing myself. No, it's all for Jesus. It's all for him. And so God is drawing us into that heart posture that's humble. And he sustains us by saying, I approve of you. Isn't that amazing? Such a great statement. Imagine suffering for Jesus, but knowing that God approves of you in Christ Jesus. What a comforting thought. What a stabilizing thing for this church. So press on, he's saying, but in this way to please God and him alone. And don't worry about the outcomes per se, you can have faith and hope if God's will work. But in affliction, when we're met with hard things and conflict and labors, don't let that eat away at your identity. God knows our heart motives. He tests our hearts. It's a positive thing for Paul that God tests our hearts. Because God is the one. If he's, he's solely concerned with God's approval and, and acceptance of him and, his, and how he deems him in his ministry. He's saying all these heart motives that lay under the surface, God tests those. So we got a vision of God and rested in that approval of God. And in that sense, he's laying out a me- uh, uh, something to follow. So I think we can seek, like, like, let's be striving after hearts that long to see God glorified. Let us be, Lord, let this ministry be pleasing to you in the way we do it and conduct ourselves, in the way we preach and teach and minister to our neighbors. Let there be no shred. Drive these greeds and, and flatteries and these heart postures away from us. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing when we think of what can happen when, that, when we're committed to that. Paul says, I didn't do this. I didn't seek these things outside or in here. It means it freezes up to truly minister to one another. Because I'm not after your you in a way that you can give something to me. Like, I need to minister to you so you can think better of me or much of me. No, I'm free of those restraints. I don't need anything from you. i, I got something to give you, to offer you. And when our hearts are swayed by the gospel, it protects this church from any self-exaltation, any false inflation of self that is just illogical. So we truly can love well in here, and that can sustain this church for years to come. So Paul says, remember what liberates and frees up my ministry. It's actually a title I got. It's a book by Kent Hughes, Liberating the Ministry from Success Syndrome. Success, in Paul's eyes, was not man's praise and the amount of it. It's not necessarily measured in how many people were saved. It's in love for God. It's in faithfulness to God. And it's in how we handle the message. And Paul says, just continue like this. You're doing it, keep doing it, and you'll be sustained. You'll find a good foundation for your ministry and God's blessing. And lastly, remember how gospel fills, uh, the gospel fills our ministry with love. So ver- ver- verse 8 really could go with the, the previous section, but he pulls out in verse 8, And in verse 11, these two metaphors, these two illustrations of a father and a mother. So he's trying to, and he's going to convey that we, when we're on our way to, to use John Binding, the celestial city, when we're on our way to to seeing Jesus face to face, to when his kingdom is fully established, gospel love should be permeating our midst and gospel love is going to carry us there. Gospel love is going to be the motivation for us to walk worthy of that calling. It's going to help us enjoy the calling of God and await its coming. So he says, I've, I came alongside you like a mother, like a mother that nurses her child. In a sense, that's why he can say in verse 7, but they, we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the word of God, but also our very selves. See, Paul sees in the illustration of a mother with a young baby, the amazing love and life of the gospel. See, Jesus came and he gave up his very self so that we could have life and these mothers, and in such a way, they're, they're life-giving. They, they have what the baby needs to have life and be sustained. And they do it in a such a way that's self-sacrificial. He's saying, that's the gentleness. There's no harshness there like a mother and a daughter. That's the way I ministered among you. That's the effect the gospel can have on you. as We are so ready to give you what you truly need. Ministering the life changing power of Jesus Christ to each other. And not just that, it's, it's in word and deed. We gave our very selves to you. It's not too hard to, to understand how that can be an encouragement for a church to carry on when we are giving ourselves for one another. Jesus laid down his life willingly, and he says, I didn't call you to be, to, to be served, but to serve as I served to wash the feet of the disciples. And this picture of this mother with the baby gives it a beautiful illustration for that. So he says, we were gentle. So imitate that, but also imitate the fatherly care that I had among you, and you will be sustained. And that's because, Like, think of a father. The father, I think what Paul's getting at is here is, I had the, the, the character of a father has with his son. Fathers walk with sons over years They nurture, they bear with, they don't burden down and and make life hard. They want to buoy their kids forward, push them towards maturity, encourage and exhort. And that's what he's saying. He says, remember how I was like a father among you. And he says that in verse 9. He says, remember our labor and our toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any one of you while we proclaim you the gospel of God. He says, like a father, I am not going to be a burden placer. I want to be a burden lifter, as one commentary said. Isn't that beautiful? Father's lifting burdens. I'm not going to place anything in your path that would be a stumbling block for you to receive and hear and know about Jesus. And I'm not going to put anything in a stumbling block for you walking by the power of Jesus toward Jesus. And in Paul's situation here, that had to do with finances. He came in, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to work, and I'm going to labor, and I'm going to toil. And I think for people, for us in this room, that's, that's, that's a call for us. Let's, with the fatherly heart posture, all of us work and labor and toil for the good of others. What a motivation. So that through that work and toil, someone might be freed up and lifted and buoyed and unburdened. But he goes on, he says, you're witnesses of these things, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers? For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. See, all of this is moving towards them making it. Them being captured with what's coming and raptured with the calling of God, and the glory of God, and the person of God, and his Christ Jesus, and his kingdom, and he wants them to be enthralled with it, so they literally run after it. So he's coming alongside him, and he's saying, like a father, I'm exhorting you, son, you can do it, and I'm going to walk alongside you. There's that ministry with Paul, you know, you know, you know, because he was there. And Even for a short period of time, they knew they were witnesses of Paul's fatherly conduct among them. They knew that Paul wanted them to make it and exhorted them to such. And out of that character, that righteous blamelessness, out of that character, he exhorted them. And they knew that. And God knows that. What a grace of God. God's heart is fatherly. God's heart wants you to make it to the end. God's heart wants you to be captured with his greatness and his glory and his majesty. And he wants all of us to participate in his wonderful kingdom when Jesus returns. So we also encouraged, And Paul, again, he's saying, imitate this. Be like this. So find what's coming as your motivation to, like a mother and like a father, love and care this way. So he encouraged and he exhorted and he charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Like, think about that. How, do we, how can we walk worthy of the gospel? And it's, it's a hard, it's, sometimes it's a hard statement to understand. But I think it's, it's, it's walking in a way that's continually pointing to the glory of the gospel. When we're talking with one another, hey, let, let, when we're talking about little things, like how we might minister, how we might uh, engage one another, we, we, we should always be infusing that with gospel truths our relationships with gospel truths, correctives. I was just talking to a brother downstairs, and in, in literally three minutes, he just brought so many little gospel truths to bear in my heart about, about who we are as people and who our God is to increase my love for him. And in that way, we can walk worthy of the gospel because the gospel is so precious. It is so valuable. Paul says, I got boldness because the gospel can save Paul says, I got boldness because God and his gospel can approve of us and equip us to send out this gospel. And Paul says, I'm sustained by the love of the gospel because I can't wait to get to that kingdom. I love the king of the kingdom. So he's charging us in these ways. He's saying to this church, imitate me. Imitate me in the way I'm ministering, not because I'm great, not because I have anything to offer in and of myself, but of what I've founded my life on. What sustains my life and sustains my ministries. So Paul is coming alongside this church to help them. And he wants to help us but through that is helping us as well. So be encouraged, church. We can have boldness. We can have real gospel relationships in here. And we can, we can, as a group, encourage one another about what's coming. The glory of being called to participate in it and the glory of being called into his kingdom totally unmerited, totally not because of anything that we did, only because of his grace and only because of his work in Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, here's my life. Here it is. Look at it, survey it, and imitate it in a way that's imitating what I've found in my life on in Jesus, the power of the gospel. And church, we can do that as well. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for these verses that draw us up out of ourself and that point us to something so grand and so great that frees us from any selfish ambition or pride or pretext for greed. So Lord, I pray that we would rest in your approval, your gospel approval of us. I pray that we would rest in the power of the gospel and I pray that we would rest in the love of the gospel. that we might minister that to each other and that our community might know and might do what the, the Thessalonian church did which was turn turn from living in such bleak ways living for self glory that's so thin so empty and Lord I pray that they would turn and run to Jesus to love him and serve him so I pray that we would collectively be always turning away from this fleshly side of ourselves and always turning to Jesus So Lord, do a great gospel work in this midst and help us to be imitators of Paul who imitated Christ. Amen.